Good afternoon and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series featuring talks from Middle East Forums projects. I'm Dexter Van Zylen. I'm the managing editor of Focus on Western Islamism. I'll be moderating this discussion. The format will be a 15 minute interview followed by 15 minutes of questions and answers from the audience. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A button located at the bottom of your screen and type your question. Now I'm pleased to introduce our guest today, Wasik Wasik. Wasik is a regular contributor to focus on Western Islamism, an academic and a writer with expertise in anti-Semitism, Islamism, and Jihadism. Wasik worked as an associate research fellow for the Henry Jackson Society and its Center on Radicalization and Terrorism. Wasik's research focuses specifically on violent and nonviolent Islamists in the United Kingdom, the role the far left plays in providing cover for Islamists, and the threat the far right poses to liberal democratic values. He'll be speaking today about Islamism in the United Kingdom. Wasik, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you to the team at Middle East Forum for holding this important webinar, and thank you, Dexter, for moderating it. Uh, and I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me today. I hope you all come away with a better understanding of what Islamism is and how it is a threat uh, in Britain. So the first thing that I'd like to do is I'd like to first discuss um, the definition of Islamism. So what is Islamism? Because once we know what Islamism is and the parameters surrounding it, we're better, uh, we will better understand how then it poses a threat to Western liberal democracies like Britain. So Islamism is essentially the political idea that the religion of Islam has a role to play not just in the private sphere, but also in the public one. In regards to the private, that is, of course, primarily concerned with Muslims. They are the people who practice the religion of Islam, whether it's through praying, whether it's through giving to charity, whether it's uh, through collective worship. But when we consider what is meant by the public sphere, we're now examining what role Islam plays with non-Muslims and particularly in Western liberal democracies like Britain. So. A person who subscribes to the Islamist idea of, um, uh, of Islam playing a public role is essentially an Islamist. And um, they are the people who make a cons conscious decision of political affirmation to the political idea that the religion of Islam should play a significant and a very vocal public role in, in life. Now, in terms of uh, the Islamists, we need to understand that there is some diversity in there uh, and that not all Islamists are the same. They're, uh, they're not a, a homogenous block. Now, Damon Perry from um, the Policy Exchange Think Tank, uh, a research fellow, he posits that there are three types of Islamists. The first is the violent Islamists. The second are the nonviolent Islamists. And then finally, the third are the participationist Islamists. Now, the caveat here before I continue is that not all Muslims are Islamists, but we can consider all Islamists as Muslims. So let's have a look at each one of these um, Islamist types first, and then we'll, uh, I'll advance the discussion a, a little further. So in terms of the violent Islamists, 
these are the people that we can consider uh, are the ones who want to achieve uh, Islam playing a, a role in public life, but through the use of violence. Groups such as Al-Qaeda and ISIS are those sorts of Islamists. Um, you find them mainly in majority Muslim countries. And in terms of how they want Islam to play a role in public life is very much at the extreme end. What they want to do is, or what, the, what their aims are, is to achieve a caliphate ruled under Sharia law. The non-violent Islamists, however, are slightly different. Um, where they agree with the aims of the violent Islamists, they don't believe that uh, uh, violence is a way of achieving it necessarily, or that they won't actually carry out that violence themselves. So in terms of um, the non-violent Islamists, they're very much similar to the quietest Salafist, Salafist being the, um, the, the strand of uh, Sunni Islam, the quietest being the ones who very much uh, feel like they can create that revolution within the Muslim circles rather than expanding it out to, to non-Muslims. And then our final um, Islamists are the partic uh, participationist Islamists. Now, before I give a definition of uh, what they are, um, the remainder of the talk will actually be looking at them because they are the Islamists who really pose that threat um, to Western liberal democracies like Britain. So the participation in Islamists are the ones that do believe in democracy and the rule of law. So they're very much different to the violent and the non-violent who don't believe in man-made laws or kuffar, which means non-believer laws or anything like that. But in terms of what they believe in democracy and the rule of law, it's less so much on the agreement, but rather on its usefulness. And so what that means is that they're more interested in how to use democracy and the rule of law, Western rule of law, to achieve their aims. So they seek democracy and the rule of law as a way to achieve their aims. And this is the main difference between them and the other two uh, camps of Islamists, is that they do actually have some um, belief in democracy and the rule of law, but rather in terms of how to use it, whereas the others completely outright reject it and would rather just have a Sharia law. So now, in terms of those aims, let's look at that a little bit deeper. So for Islam to play a role in public life, Islamists broadly believe in the following, and this is specifically in the West rather than in Muslim majority countries. So everything should be Muslim focused and Islam friendly. And so what that means is that uh, whether um, you have policies or procedures or anything like that, they should be focused on, on, on a Muslim and they should be friendly to whatever people determine is in, in regards to what Islam is. Then. Uh, Islam should not be critiqued or ridiculed. So essentially what they believe in is blasphemy laws. Now, obviously in the West, we don't have blasphemy laws. So they seek ways of trying to achieve that um, in, in terms of um, implementing it and protecting Islam. And so that goes back to being Muslim focused and Islam friendly. Muslims must never be shown in a negative light uh, is, is another aim. And so what they try to do is uh, present an image that all Muslims are peace loving um, uh, people and that you've got nothing to fear with them. And of course, we broadly agree with that because the majority of Muslims are like that. But what they want to do is they want to present all Muslims like that. Where possible, 
any kind of initiative that is presented should be Sharia compliant. What they're looking at here is uh, things like Islamic finance, uh, food, things like that. It should be Sharia compliant and uh, they should be able to practice their religion. Now, of course, in Western liberal democracies, there isn't really a, a case um, where they're not being allowed to do that, but they will seek to present an image that that is the case. They also look to set up parallel laws, things like Sharia courts to manage issues specifically for Muslims. What they're trying to do here, um, as I've just stated, is, is those parallel laws where the belief is that uh, the laws currently, the secular laws that we have in um, Britain, are not fit for purpose in terms of dealing with uh, um, uh, uh, issues to do with Muslims or issues to do with uh, Islam playing a role with, for, for Muslim life. And then finally, the, the last thing, and this is something that they have been trying to, uh, Islamists, participationist Islamists have been trying to do for a very long time, is to be the gatekeepers between them, uh, between the government and the Muslim community. Now, the Muslim community, of course, it should be stated, is a diverse um, community uh, with lots of differing uh, views uh, on theology, on, on social aspects, on, on everything like that. But what the Islamist participationists want to do is to be the gatekeepers. They want to be a the spokespeople for the Muslim community between them and the government. So the threat that then that comes from the participation Islamists is in some ways more dangerous than the other two camps, the violent and the nonviolent Islamists. And in order to tackle that, we do need some solid policy initiatives to deal with it. But let's have a look at the, the actual threat. What are we talking about here? So one of the threats, and this is what um, we don't have a lot of time, so I won't go into all of the threats, but I'll talk about one of the threats uh, that participation is in this due pose, and that's the threat uh, to the use of language. What participation is in this want to be able to do to do is to define who and what a Muslim is. Now, this may seem like an innocuous aim, uh, because you know, if, if someone considers themselves a Muslim, that should be the end of the end of the matter, but that's not necessarily the case, and it's not actually an innocuous aim. Uh, aim. It's actually a very sinister one. We look in that. Uh, we'll look at that now. So one of the ways for the participationist Islamists to do that is to seek to shape and control the narrative in regards to Muslims, and in the use of the term Islamophobia. And so what they want to do is they want to use Islamophobia as a way to define who and what a Muslim is. Currently, uh, within um, the British Parliament, we have a working definition of Islamophobia. Now, this was uh, set up by the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Islamophobia. And they uh, currently define Islamophobia as uh, something that is rooted in racism and is a type of racism that targets expressions of Muslimness or perceived Muslimness. And this definition has been adopted by, I think, nearly all political parties except the Conservative uh, Party, who are currently the ones who are in power. They at the moment have not accepted this definition. But let's have a look at this definition and uh, critique it a little bit to understand why this definition is problematic and how Islamist participationists are using it to then define who and what uh, a Muslim is. So the first thing to uh, consider is that um, 
it's not clear that Islamists are behind the definition per se, but it is clear that they are in support of it wholeheartedly. Now, this definition is flawed because the first thing to consider is that it seeks to conflate religious identity with race. So on the one hand, you can freely enter any faith and leave it. But on the other hand, you cannot do the same thing with race. Race is inherent to you, whereas religion isn't. You can meander between religions as much as you like, but you cannot do the same thing with faith. It also ignores sectarianism within Muslim communities. Now, if we go back to the definition of Islamophobia, this working definition of Islamophobia, it says that it's rooted in racism and is a type of racism uh, because through expressions of Muslimness and perceived Muslimness. But then when you've got two Muslims who are, let's say, brown, but come from, one comes from the Shia tradition uh, of Islam and the other one comes from the Sunni tradition of Islam, and they both have bigoted views towards each other because of the type of Muslim that they are, then how would this definition work in terms of race? You can't be necessarily racist to someone of the same race as you. And so in that respect, the uh, definition of Islamophobia actually fails to um, consider sectarianism within Muslim communities. And then the most troubling aspect of uh, this is that if it comes to a Muslim carrying out a terrorist attack, Participationist Islamists will look to use this definition to call it Islamophobia if you focus on the religious identity of the perpetrator, despite it being a motivating factor for why this person has taken out a, a terrorist attack. So let's have a look at a case study in, in terms of this. Now, we know that um, the, the definition is problematic. Uh, when it comes to violent Islamists. We know they seek to implement aspects of Sharia law in the West or want to gain concessions from the government by using violence. So um, uh, by nearly every definition of terrorism, the whole point is to gain concessions from the government um, of, 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 the, of the day. But to call anyone that focuses on the religious variable as Islamophobic gives cover and exonerates the Islamist terrorists from the act. What it essentially does is it excuses their literal interpretation of Islam as a defining variable for carrying out acts of violence. In other words, it makes the act Islam friendly. So the whole point here is that if someone carries out a terrorist attack in the name of Islam, what the Islam's participationists will do is they'll try to remove that variable as a defining variable and say it's got nothing to do with Islam because Islam is a peaceful religion. And in fact, actually, you're being Islamophobic. This person acted separate to Islam, separate to Muslims. He's not even a real Muslim. But this is not the case, because if someone considers themselves to, uh, to be a Muslim and to, uh, considers themselves uh, to follow the religion of Islam, then we should take them at their word. So. Let's look at how then this use of language becomes problematic. So two years ago, a police association made up of Muslims were looking to drop the term Islamists and jihadis when describing terrorists who claim Islam as their motive. Instead, what they wanted to do is they wanted to uh, provide alternative uh, proposals for describing Islamist terror. For example, faith, uh, faith claimed terrorism or terrorism abusing religious motivations or adherence of Osama bin Laden's ideology. 
these are obviously problematic because it actually takes away the very variable that we should be focusing on, which is that Islam was one of the defining factors of why they carried out the attack. Now, the, the, this is obviously problematic. So refusing to call these attacks Islamists diverts attention away from Islam. And this would be wrong because the logic for these would be censors, the Islamist participations, is of course that Islam is peaceful even if a minority of Muslims are not. But this is false logic. Islamists are by and large influenced by a narrow interpretation of Islam, such as Salafism. And it is these interpretations of Islam, as well as their political goals and other factors that motivate Islamists to carry out terrorist attacks. To suggest that there is only one version of Islam and that is, is a peaceful one is actually a lie because there is no one single interpretation of Islam. The proposal also speaks to a bigotry of low expectations when it comes to the general uh, public in Britain. Surely the general public are more than capable of differentiating between Islamism and Islam, Islamism being the political ideology, whereas Islam being the private faith that Muslims practice. So we need to ha have more confidence that the two terms are seen as distinct and make those as clear as possible. And in acts of terror where the two do overlap, we need to find a way to stand up to this threat from the Islamist participationists and not change that definition. So to finally um, conclude, uh, how do we then uh, tackle this? So to, to defeat the Islamist participationists who are the law abiding ones who do use the law and um, the principles and values of liberal democracies, we need to bring them back onto a level playing field. If we want them to throw around accusations or if they want to throw around accusations of Islamophobia, then we need to be confident in being able to challenge and scrutinize them and, and their accusations. And these should not be uh, going unchallenged. So we also need a firm commitment to free speech. This is important for the general Muslim population uh, than it is for everyone else because for, uh, Islamists are seeking to define what Islam and Muslims are. Limiting free speech allows them to continue this because as far as for some Sunni extremists uh, are concerned, Shia Muslims are not Muslims. And so it needs to be up to every Muslim to define who they are rather than allow someone else to, to, to do that. When terrorist attacks involving Muslims take place, it must be described accurately. Otherwise we could be creating the wrong policies for the wrong issues. And then finally, the government needs to crack down on these Islamist participationist organizations that seek to undermine counter-terrorism initiatives. They should not be given a seat at the table until they are committed uh, fully to British values such as free speech and the rule of law beyond just its utility. So we know that they, they see uh, the rule of law and, um, and obviously um, British values of free speech as um, a utility and it's useful, but they don't really believe in it when it comes to who Muslims are or what Islam is. And so this is something that we need to consider. But thank you very much. Uh, I hope that's given you a, uh, a, an overview of Islamist participationists and the threat that they pose to Western liberal democracies, particularly uh, in Britain. And I welcome your questions. Thank you so much, Wesley. That was wonderful. Now, one of the questions that popped into my head is, is that what else can we do to uh, 
somehow diminish the role of Islamists, and particularly the participationists that you spoke about. What can we do to uh, basically undermine their status as gatekeepers? Because that, that seems to be one of the big issues because government officials are always looking for somebody that will be able, they can, an interlocutor or an intermediary that they can talk to. Are there people in the Muslim community that are out there that would be in a position to replace the gatekeepers as they currently exist? I think so. I think that's a good question. I um, what we what we don't want to do is we don't want to have any interlocutor uh, between the Muslim community and the British pub, um, the British government. What we do have currently is we have MPs, we have members of Parliament who are representative of their constituencies, and we need to start understanding that Muslims are part of society rather than separate to it. And so once Muslims are uh, more integrated in terms of using the political system, as in their MPs, to get their views heard, then there's no need for those gatekeepers uh, uh, to get through into Parliament. Of course, this is, uh, again, the same thing with organisations. So if organisations are seeking to um, speak on behalf of a, uh, a membership or, or Muslim membership, then they need to be committed to British values of free speech, uh, British values of, in terms of the rule of law uh, and, and things like that, whether it's a misogyny, whether uh, some of the issues that we uh, the Muslim community are facing currently, they need to be firm against that to show that actually we're committed, we're British Muslims, we don't have an issue living here, we don't have an issue with the law here, we don't want Sharia here, we have found a good medium here. Once we start having that, the need for participationism starts to diminish. Okay, now what would reform look like on the part of some of the, the, uh, the, the Muslim civil society organizations? Suppose they wanted to basically send a message to the, the British public or the publics within Western democracies to say, look, we're no longer interested in essentially using the tools of democracies democracy to advance and a religious authoritarianism. What type of messages or signals would they have to send to their fellow Muslims and to their fellow Britons? Well, I think um, if we look at a case study uh, quite recently, um, it, uh, only I think two months ago, there was a, a film that was uh, uh, produced uh, called The Lady of Heaven, and it was it was done by a fringe group of um, Shia Muslims. Uh, they produced it, and it was uh, being shown across um, across the country in cinemas. And um, what we found was a lot of um, uh, Islamist extremists were protesting against it, and some uh, there was even a petition out there to to get the film banned. And essentially, what they were looking to do was to set up a de facto blasphemy law, blasphemy uh, through through the back door, essentially. Yeah. Um, however, they didn't get as much support as they perhaps uh, wanted, especially if you look at. Um, uh, in 1989, when we had the Salman Rushdie affair, when he, he produced the book, uh, The Satanic Verses, we had fundamentalists running around uh, screaming, burning effigies, whereas this time we didn't see as much support as we saw here. And so what, what that actually demonstrates is that there's a quiet revolution taking place. So either we're, we're looking at Muslims who either they do not care about um, blasphemy anymore, or the Islamists are just not uh, able to recruit them. And I think it's a, it's a combination of both. And I think we need to continue to empower British Muslim communities 
in, in regards to that. They don't want to be dragged into issues that have no real life impact on them in a, in, in, in a country, in a nation where they pretty much get to say what they want. And so that's the sort of messaging that I think we need to start getting through and, um, and start promoting. Now, how many supporters do you have? There's a question in the queue that says, what is the state of Muslim reformism in the UK? Are you a lone voice or do you have colleagues, uh, Muslim colleagues and friends who share your views and are committed to opposing Islamism? How strong is the constituency, I guess? Well, um, as I said, I, I think the in terms of that quiet revolution is, is taking place and there is a lot of support because um, when, when we look at for example, PREVENT. PREVENT is a government initiative uh, to tackle extremism and terrorism. And this came following the 7-7 uh, London bombings where 52 people were killed as a result of homegrown terrorist, Islamist terrorists. And PREVENT has been, um, has been uh, 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 an image has been portrayed of prevent that is Islamophobic, it's disproportionately tackling, um, uh, targeting Muslim communities and everything like that. But then recently um, in polling by Crest Advisory, a research um, uh, uh, think tank, they found that actually when uh, Prevent was um, explained to Muslims, more people, more Muslims were more uh, in favor of Prevent than uh, the general population. So what we do see is that there is support there for, for um, reform-minded Muslims um, who are not necessarily looking to reform Islam, but looking to reform themselves as Muslims and to find their, their own identity here in, in Britain against the backdrop of Islamists constantly saying that it's Islamophobic here and you know, you're not wanted here and we need to change things and, 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 and everything like that. So there is support there. It's now about actually getting them to be more part of um, British society and being able to use their MPs and you know use the civil service, use um, their councils and, and, and things like that. Uh, participate in society in the same way non-Muslims do because we are part of a British society. We're not apart from it, and so we need to uh, continue that and and the support is there is then now uh, about getting that support and uh, being a bit more vocal against that islamist participationist threat okay now there's a question in the queue that says which categories would you put each of the following groups into and one would i think it's muslim public affairs council in the, the uk men five pillars and cage and I, maybe it's unfair to i, I don't want to ambush you i promised you i wouldn't ambush you that's going to be a difficult question or if that's going to put you on the spot, but can you, because you talked about three categories, can you give some names without getting in too much trouble? Um, I probably won't give names, but there is research out there that um, I think we can uh, perhaps publish um, with the Middle East Forum that uh, actually names some organizations who fall into the categories of, um, of being Islamist participationists. I would consider most um, organizations that a lot of your viewers have heard of would fall into the category of um, Islamist participationists, the fact that they're still able to operate, um, the fact that they have legitimate companies running and, you know, they're, they're using um, the machinery that we have here to, to obviously undermine the efforts. So, but uh, there, there are other um, 
prescribed organizations like uh, al Mahajarun, who would have fallen into the non-violent um, category. So they, they agree with uh, jihad, for example, jihad being the, the, um, the use of violence, a holy war, uh, so to speak. Um, but the, the difference between them and the violent is that they won't carry out it, they just support it. Although that's not to say some of the supporters didn't go to, um, uh, to Syria to join um, IS, Islamic State. So, so there are um, a number of, if, if you consider any of these organizations to be Islamists, they're probably going to be the participationist ones. Now, one of the questions that I have is, is that it seems as if Islamism, and I don't want to overstate the case, is having a, a difficult time in the Middle East, which is one of the regions where it originated. So my question is, why is it that we see uh, so many institutions in the West still promoting this agenda when the people who live in the region where it started, uh, some of them seem to want to kind of get away from? Well, absolutely. I think uh, when, when we start looking at the Middle East, uh, especially um, Egypt, for example, uh, Tunisia, some, some of these places where they've already had the Islamist project take place and it's failed uh, um, spectacularly and quite embarrassingly. And it, it just doesn't work. But there is an idea that here in the West that it can work. And uh, there's a, um, especially for the Islamist participationists, what they're obviously looking to do is to find that happy medium between the two. So they want things to be Muslim focused and Islam friendly, and, and they want to achieve that by being able to define who uh, and what Muslims are. And so for a lot of um, Islamist participationists here, they're looking to it as a way to save themselves from um, a threat that doesn't exist against them because free speech is not a threat to them. Um, liberal democracy is not a threat to them, but they're looking at Islam as the solution for everything. And most Muslims do look at Islam as a solution for everything, but it's not necessarily a solution for everything because that's, we don't, you, you don't go to the Quran or you don't go to an Imam to uh, seek a, a medical solution. You go to a doctor. And so in the same way, that's what we need to be doing over here. And we, we, we need to tackle that idea that Islam can uh, solve all the problems. Actually, it can't. It's a personal faith. And that's, that's something that, um, that we need to promote more uh, rather than it being something that's uh, public and should be able to control and uh, shape how um, society is run. Now, one last question is just, uh, which is like, when's your book coming out or where can we find some more of your work? Okay, I mean, because this has been astounding. It's been, it's been enlightening and it's actually given me a, a lot of hope. So, so talk to us about where people can find your stuff. Thank you. Yeah, so um, currently I write a lot for Focus on Western Islamism. So please obviously go go there to, to read some of my stuff. There's some great work coming out on there. I write for a number of other publications as well on the threat of Islamists um, and also how the far left give cover to them. Um, so you can find um, a lot of my stuff on my Twitter. So my Twitter is uh, Wasik, so W-A-S-I-Q UK. Um, and also my website wasik.co.uk. Um, and you can find all of my stuff on there. A book is uh, coming soon, so uh, keep your eyes out for that. That's good to hear. And so we've come to the close of our webinar, and I want to thank you, Wasik, again for joining us today. 
And for our viewers and listeners, be on the lookout for our weekly webinar offerings. It's going to be sent out this weekend. Thank you all for attending and have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thank Bye, you. Wilson. Bye.